Good morning. About to be afternoon. What a nice summer, midsummer day. Wonderful weather, 70 degrees, sun shining, beautiful weather. Uh, pray for the all the people over the, that was over to Rudy Fest that, uh, and all the people across the country that uh, last few days have endured some hardship because of uh, Tropical Storm Cindy, uh, several tornadoes, and a bunch of our people over in uh, Carter County, just right next door to us, uh, endured a bunch of flooding and stuff, and all the people lost their campers. Some My boss lost his camper and his truck and his golf cart, had to abandon it in the water. And uh, so pray for them that the uh, Lord would go through, work through the insurance company and get all of it settled quick and all that. The National Guard's over there helping them clean it up. It's uh, pretty much a mess, but God uh, knows what he's doing, and we just got to trust him. Uh, but just pray for all those families that was affected by that. And just thankful that everybody got out safe, everybody got out alive. So it's always a good thing. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to read a few verses here. Let's stand as we read Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin at verse 1 and read down through verse 7. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which we were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were all called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But to each one of you, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. God, we just ask that you would make it applicable to our heart. God, that our minds would be receptive, our hearts would be receptive today of what you're saying to us. Lord, speak through this body of clay and speak to your servants today. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. The Apostle Paul speaking back to the church of Ephesus. And you've got to think about this in a perspective of the Apostle Paul had... Uh, went to Ephesus as a, as a missionary. Uh, the Apostle Paul was a, a guy that was uh, brought to Jesus, come to Christ, and uh, went into uh, a foreign country, spent several years there, came back to Jerusalem, uh, talked to the saints, talked to the elders, and uh, was commissioned. And uh, he took off on these missionary journeys, and there are several of them different missionary journeys that Paul, you can look at in the maps in the back of your Bible. A lot of Bibles have got maps in it. It'll show Paul's missionary journey. And Paul went to Ephesus once, and uh, he, he birthed a church there. There was no church. There was nobody that knew anything about God, about Jesus Christ. And he's preaching Jesus to him. A church got established. He pastored there for several years. I think some people think about three years he pastored there in Ephesus and just uh, led that church uh through the birth to the beginning stages. And that's an awesome thing to think about that uh, this guy that grew up in Jewish faith and Jewish customs come to Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it's a, a journey that Paul went on. And I love thinking about it in the perspective that Paul went on this journey. And sometimes in church world, the, the church we 
existing today in America, there's uh, bylaws, there's constitutions, there's boards, there's all this different stuff, and there's this uh, uh, leadership approach that we take to church. And uh, even in the Assemblies of God, I had to go through at least four years of training to become an ordained minister, and it's a process. So you, you go for eight classes, and you become... Uh, take a test, you become a certified minister that you know enough about the scripture to, to be a certified minister. You take eight more classes and then you go take another test and, and you sit before these people and they interview you and talk to you and stuff and uh, at the presbyter, those people, and uh, they give you another test. You pass that test, you become a licensed minister. Then you take eight more classes and you have to wait at least two years and then you go sit before the whole presbytery for the state of Kentucky, the Assemblies of God in the state, and when you go, it's pretty rigorous. It's a, a long-going thing. And uh, I'm not taking away from that, but sometimes in Scripture, if we truly look at Scripture, Paul talks about that he didn't have hands laid upon him by any man to become an ordained minister. He was an ordained minister because Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus. So I love these godly things. I love the assemblies of God. I'm glad that I went through that opportunity and, and presented myself. And me and Leslie sitting down there becoming ordained at the same time. Uh, she actually got her license before I did, so <laughs> good job, Leslie, right? So uh, so I, uh, we were sitting there and we was being interviewed together, and these people are, are some saints now. I'm talking about the, the guys that we sat in the room with, and, and ladies too. There's presbyters uh, that's ladies, the same as God's beliefs in women in ministry. The scripture teaches it. And uh, we're sitting there going through this interview process, and they get pretty nitpicky. I mean, they ask you all, any, the, the floor is open for them to ask you anything they want. And uh, I never forget we sitting there, and one of one of my favorite guys in the group. He's a really really old guy. He's upper 80s. I mean, he's he's an old guy, been around a long time, and seen a lot, knows a lot. I love wisdom. I love speaking to people that's older than me, and and gleaning from them, and learning from their experiences in life. And he looked over at us, and and I don't know why. I, I work construction, and they teach us in safety class not to wear uh, wedding rings or any kind of jewelry because you could lose a finger. And some people sit through a safety class, and they think, well, it'll happen to everybody but me. But I worked with a guy when I was an apprentice that he didn't have his ring finger. He was working on a bulldozer, and he, he climbed down off of it and jumped off of it, and the, the ring caught on, on the side of the bulldozer, and it completely pulled his finger off. He has no ring finger left. And so when I learn from a guy like that, when they tell me not to wear my wedding ring, I don't wear my wedding ring. I just don't. And plus, I got fat, and it won't fit anymore. So... Uh, but Brother Hart was sitting there in the, in the thing, and, and they go through all these questions and stuff, and Brother Hart looks, and anything's on the table, so Brother Hart looks down, and he says, uh, notice you two don't have your rings on. Just wondering why. Do you not believe in wedding rings? Or, But that's kind of the stuff that they, they even get down to that level, that they're noticing everything about your character. About They want you to be impeccable. And that's a good thing. But as I think about that, that I, I love the journey I've been on in my life, but to think about Paul, the apostle, saying, that I wasn't ordained by any man that Jesus ordained me. I thank God that God ordained my life. I'm glad for the calling on my life that man has affirmed and reaffirmed through this process that I went through, but none of them called me. God called me. In Christ alone. That's all I need. I don't need man's affirmation on my calling. I'm, I'm happy to have it, but I don't have to have it. And the Apostle Paul here is writing back to this church, and you've got to think about, as a missionary goes through, plants this church, and then years later he writes back to them, the church at Ephesus that we're reading about today, and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, 
Paul was sitting in a prison cell in Rome. And just, if you read the book of Acts and study through the book of Acts in, the, in a chronological order, you'll see that the Apostle Paul ends up back in Ephesus, and as he's there, it talks about, that I think it's about chapter 20, somewhere thereabout in, in Acts, that, that they come and they, they wrap their arms around the Apostle Paul's neck, and they kiss him on the cheek, and they beg him, because he tells them, I'm getting ready to go to Jerusalem. They're like, please don't go, Paul. The Jewish people are there, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they killed Jesus, and they're wait, laying in wait, waiting for you to come back, because they're going to kill you. So Paul says, I must need, I have to go. He's called to go. He feels a, a calling to go. And he goes, and you know the, that he gets there, and he goes before all these dignitaries and different things, and they begin to judge him, and, and Paul appeals to Caesar. When Paul appeals to Caesar, he goes back to Rome. When he gets to Rome, they put him in prison. Think about this. I, Paul, the apostle that wrote all these New Testament books, epistles, am a prisoner. And we've got to look at this like a lot of us don't put a lot of faith in a prisoner. We think America is supposed to be a place where you're, you're uh, innocent until proven guilty, but most of the time all it takes is one Facebook post and everybody will automatically say, well, they're automatically guilty until they're proven innocent in the court of law, right? We got it reversed. It's supposed to be the opposite. You're supposed to say, hey, he's innocent, but they're going to prove that he's guilty. I, a prisoner of the Lord. And here Paul is claiming to be a prisoner. Because he is. He's sitting in a physical prisoner, prison cell. But he's saying, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He don't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And to think about that. The Apostle Paul captured, arrested, and we know what it's like to be arrested. You see in Lewis County Herald, they'll put a post up on Facebook, and so-and-so was arrested yesterday, and we took him to jail, and we put him in jail. And you're like... I know what arrested is. That we understand that. They put them in handcuffs, took them in a cruiser, and took them downtown and put them behind a jail cell. That's, that's somebody in jail. And, uh, but God don't do it that way. He will not force you to be a prisoner. He will not force you to be a Christian. Paul's saying, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Not by force, but by self-imprisonation. Imagine that. How crazy is that? It's like Andy Griffith's show. You watch that? Otis is out there, gets drunk out in town. What's Otis do? He's like, well, I'll just go lock myself and let myself in and go in jail and, you know, just lay down here and have a night, a nice little nap, and I'll get up next morning, reach out and get the keys and go back out. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that awesome? What if we done our prison system like that in America? What if we just like, you you know, if you're bad enough and think you're bad enough, just go ahead and let yourself into the jail, but you, you can let yourself out whenever you want to. That'd be scary, wouldn't it? It'd be a scary society. That's what God has allowed us to do in Christianity. He says, I ain't going to force you to be a prisoner to me. You can willfully come to me and be my prisoner. But he's not a hard taskmaster. Scripture teaches that. It's a, it's, a, it's a fulfilling thing to be a prisoner of the Lord. And as Paul is saying this, I can just imagine it going through his mind that he's sitting there with shackles actually on his feet, on his hands, writing this scripture back to the church at Ephesus because they begged him not to go. Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. They're going to arrest you. He goes anyway. And he's sitting there writing this letter back to him. And he said, I, a prisoner of the Lord. How many of us are willing prisoners of Jesus? I willingly give my life to you, God. I turn myself over to you. Leslie sings a song. I give myself away. That, that song that we give ourselves back to God. But Paul says here, as a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which we were called. 
He's asking the church at Ephesus, work, walk worthy of the calling of where which you were called. What's it like to walk worthy of the calling of God? Is there, is there a, a, a place, a type, a lifestyle that we should live as a, as a Christian that should be pleasing to God? That we would give ourselves to Him and be a prisoner to Him. That, that we would be called according to His purpose, His plan, not my plan, not my will, but His. So as, as Paul is saying this, church, please walk worthy of the calling where which you called. Don't count the blood of Jesus, and it talks about in Hebrews, you know, that, that some count it and as it, not. They'll, they'll just trample under, under their feet the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus that cleanses us of our sin, we should walk worthy of that. A lifestyle of holiness that we strive for. And we'll never reach perfection. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't think you're perfect anyway. You're not going to get there. <laughs> you, you can try as hard as you want. You can live the holiest life and do everything you know to be holiness. But there's going to be points in your Christianity that you're going to slip. Amen. You're going to falter. You're going to slip back. There's going to be times in your life and seasons in your life where that you're not as hot for God as you used to be. But we're singing this song here today. Come, Holy Spirit, burn like a fire. Amen? Refine me. Make me new, God. So this calling, we've got to walk worthy of the calling. With walk, and then verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering. How many feels like God is long-suffering to us? Amen? You know what it's like to be long-suffering. Hopefully your parents were a little long-suffering. Amen? They count one. <laughs> give you a little chance and they say two amen that's that's what long suffering is it's like giving the countdown you know but hopefully whenever you get to three actually something happens yes. amen parents amen. don't count to three if nothing happens because there's no consequences amen. Amen. amen sometime I didn't get to three if it was bad enough dad might say one <laughs> he never even said one he just look at you yeah. when he give you that look it's like I know what's happening next <laughs> Right, Brother Craig, I either chill out or I'm going to get chilled out. It's one or the other. So here it says that we are to walk with a lowliness and gentleness. That as a Christian, we should be gentle and kind. That we should have a humility about us. Amen? Prisoners are humble people. When somebody's in jail and they're, they've been convicted of a crime, they, they know they've done it, they know they're guilty, and there's, there's a humbleness that comes with that. So as a prisoner of the Lord, we should be humble in our approach to God and in our approach to humanity. We can say love God, love people. You can't love people and judge people. Amen? We've got to be a humble people that comes up to, and says, I don't know about your walk with God, but in my walk with God, God is saying this to me, and God is saying that. And talk about your relationship with God between you and Him and make that a condition where everybody else says, I want to be a part of that. Don't point at them and say, I'm so holy and you're so not. Amen? That does nothing but drive people away. A humble spirit will cause the grace of God to come in your life that draws other people into Christianity. Amen? Paul wasn't a guy that was boastful. He wasn't a guy that was putting everybody down. He talked about, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a humble thing to say. And as he does this, I love it that, that the end of that verse says, Bearing with one another in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about it. It's the, it's the love chapter in the New Testament. If you read through it, it says love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, love is all these things. In the very last passage of that chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, But now by the faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. 
You have all the faith in the world that you want, but if you ain't got love, you don't have anything. You can have all the hope about entering heaven someday, but if you have love, you're not going to make it there. Amen? The greatest of the commandments is love. Jesus said, love God, love people. That's what we need to do. So here it is, Paul saying this to this group of people that he pastored for three years. I love this, verse 4. There is, some, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling. You were called into one hope of your calling. Talking about calling. It's mentioned it so many times here in these few short verses. Paul is talking about being a prisoner of the Lord, but he's talking about a calling. What is the calling of God? What's it look like? What's it, how, how, do, how do you refer to the calling of God? I believe as Christians that every Christian on the planet that has given their life and is a prisoner to the Lord Jesus Christ is called for some purpose, for some reason. For, Jesus has a, a, a master plan, and he knows where your place is in that plan. So as he's talking to us today and he's telling us about this calling, I just begin to think back on the calling in my life. I never desired to be a pastor. I never thought that I wanted, I never went to somebody and said, you know, I, I, I want to be a pastor. I, I want to preach. I want to do, I didn't, it was nothing to do with that. I got saved in October of 1999 at the church, and I told you stories about that and how my salvation moment happened and, and when I was there. And a few months later, I'm there, and, you know, I'm going to helping the youth uh, pastor because there's about 60 or 70 teenagers at that church. And I'd just go over there and help him and hang out on Wednesday nights with the teenagers and, and kind of bless them. And, and, but I was thank God for a youth pastor the way he was. Pastor Josh was a good youth pastor. I didn't know nothing about anything about church. I grew up in church, but like I told you before, I didn't know much about, about it. So here I am, and I come in, and, and Pastor Josh had lined me out on a few things. I would do something that be, wouldn't be the right way according to church etiquette, and he'd tell me, you, need to, you don't need to do that here, you need to do that over there. About giving. I was giving my money to the youth group. He said, your money don't go to the youth group, it goes to the church. I was like, but I want to be a part of the youth group. You can be part of the youth group, but your money don't go to the youth group, it goes to the church. He told me that. I was like, well, I figured he'd be happy to have my money. But I helped him other than just my giving. I'd give to them too. I, it was both and, not either or. And Pastor Josh helped me with that and led me with that. And a few months later, here it is, summertime, they're getting ready to go on youth, to youth camp. And he calls and he says, hey, Ben, you want to go to youth camp as a counselor? I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I love hanging out with the youth. It's going to be awesome. I'll go to this counselor. Greg knows what it's like. Dusty calls and said, hey, I want you guys to come up to Long's Retreat and hang out with the kids. And Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. But where I went, they put me in a van and I got all the boys because all the girls was in the other van. So here I'm driving out there, and there's these hoodlums, man. I'm talking about absolute hoodlums, Greenup County's finest. No, no pun intended for Greenup County. Uh, so I'm traveling up the road, and, and there's this new song come out by this Christian rapper. And they put it in the CD player, and I wanted to be the cool guy, you know, let them kind of go, whatever. So I listened to the same song from Raceland to Lil. That's three and a half hours of the same song the whole time. And by the time I got down there, I was about to pull my hair out. I had hair back then. I was awesome as a youth counselor, I'll tell you right now. I had a full head of hair. So we get down there, and, and I'm walking up, and I've got these, you know, these bunch of little hooligan Grant County boys, and I'm taking them up there, and we're, we're going to camp. It's going to be an awesome experience. I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been to church camp in my life. 
walk up and they said, okay, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Boys, you go over there, there's your room. And I'm thinking, okay, that's cool. Be over with them in a minute. They're going to do something. They said, okay, here's your counselor, here's your students, and you take them over here, here's your room. I'm like, what? Yeah, I got kids from Paris and all over <laughs> the state of Kentucky. Here, so here, I'm in a room with six kids. I don't even know. But they trust us. They might do background checks and everything. They knew who I was. So here I go, and I'm in the camp dorm with them and talking to them. And these students, you know, and they're, they're this and that and talking about their church and all this. And, and next thing you know, they're just boys. They're boys. So next thing you know, we're laying there the first night and laying in the bed and talking. And you got to do a devotional before you go to sleep and, and sitting there. And next thing you know, one of them starts bringing up how he can levitate. Awesome. What better church camp can you go to? Get a kid levitating in his bed in your camp dorm. That's just awesome. He talks about all these spirits and all that. I was like, oh, Lord have mercy. What am I got myself into? I don't know enough about Scripture to be dangerous. And here I'm talking about a kid levitating. You know, it starts worrying me. I start praying. You know, you'll pray harder. They start talking about levitating. I promise you, you'll learn how to pray. So I am there with these kids. And next thing you know, they're boys. They're, they're six hoodlum boys. And, and they start talking. And you know how it is. If you get six kids together, one of them's going to be the outsider, man. That's just the way it is. One's the outsider. So the kid that was levitating, he's an outsider. He, he's not in the clique anymore. They start picking on him. And I try to wrestle them around and get them to where they get along with each other. And, you know, just be at peace. Look at your neighbor and say, just be at peace. Just chill out, man. Love God, love people, love life. Don't have to be that difficult. And, and the church service, every night they go to the church service. And first night's usually about Jesus. Second night's usually about this and about that. And about midweek, they usually get into a thing where they, they get pretty serious. And it's pretty cool to witness because there's 350 teenagers at this camp. And all these counselors, and we're all in this one big auditorium. And they're preaching. And Herbert Cooper is an awesome preacher. If you never listened to a Herbert Cooper sermon, you ought to go listen because he's, man, he can put it in a way that breaks it down. I mean, he's just that kind of guy. And he, he, he's up there preaching. I think it was Wednesday night. It's either Wednesday or Thursday. Pretty sure it's Wednesday because it wouldn't have been Thursday. It would have been the last night. Probably Wednesday night of the camp. And he starts preaching, and at the end of the thing, he has a culture call. A bunch of kids comes up, and they, they're pretty on fire. I mean, they're radically, I mean, snot flying, tears, just loving God and loving people at this point. It's awesome to witness as a counselor. I didn't know nothing about any of that. I'm just standing there thinking, man, that's cool. I wish I'd have had that when I was a kid. I wish somebody that took me to camp. And as I'm standing back there in the back, Herbert Cooper says, we're going to have a fire tunnel. And I'm standing there thinking, what's he talking about? I don't even know what he's talking about. He's going to have a fire tunnel. I don't want the building to burn. <laughs> what's going on here? And he talks about this fire tunnel. And he says, what we're going to do, there's 350 kids. I want kids to make a tunnel. So a kid on each side, and you they made them look like a snake through that auditorium, a tunnel. And they said, all the youth pastors and all the counselors, I want to, the dean and everybody, I want you to come up here, and you're going to walk through these 350 kids, and they're going to pray for you as you walk through. You know what that's like? To have 350 snotty-nosed kids that's just had an a, a episode with Jesus, the purest of faith, to stand there and they, and walking through there is just a, so humbling. Thank you, I'm 23 years old, and they're, they're supposed to be looking up to me, but here I, I really believe in their prayers as I'm walking through here. 
And I walk, begin my journey, and they're laying hands on me, and I'm walking through here, and I don't, I've never been in a fire tunnel before. Anybody ever been in a fire tunnel? I didn't even know what it was. And I'll tell you what, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty humbling. And as I walked through there, and I got about halfway to three-quarters of the way through the tunnel, I remember as I was standing there, and, and some of the kids from our youth group, they begin to lay hands on me, and it's probably the same kids that prayed for me at the altar just a few short months, nine months earlier, standing there laying hands on me, praying for me. And I, I physically felt the voice of God telling me, you're called to preach. Like, man, this fire tunnel, did I eat too much pizza a while ago? You know, was my Frito Bandito, was it the bag too full of taco sauce? I don't know. But I, I really knew. So I walked up to, you know, after all camp was over and got back and once we got home, I talked to youth pastor Josh. I called him and I was like, Josh, during the fire tunnel down there, I felt like God told me I was called to preach. He's like, awesome. Get you a sermon together. Like, okay. <laughs> Probably I'll call you in and say, here, here's how to write a sermon. You need this, this. So I just sat there with a notebook. I still got it at home. I'll, I'll, I need to frame it somewhere. It's my first sermon about faith. And I wrote up all these things and had all this outline and, and had it all planned out, you know. And I was thinking, man, this is going to be about a half hour's worth. It's going to be awesome. And he said, I'll let you preach it to the youth group. There's 60, 70 kids. That's, you know. So here I am. They get up, and he says, okay, Ben's going to come up, and he, he's going to preach to you tonight. So I, I'm there, and I said, yeah, get up there. It's my Bible. And, and there's this Bible right here, too. This is the Bible. And I'm sitting there with my little notebook paper and start talking about faith and, and what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. I start talking about faith. And, and next thing you know, I, I get through all the way through my notes. And I look up and I was like, now what? You know, altar call time. And he's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm finished. And he's you've only been going five minutes. Now I can preach for two hours and <laughs> it's never end, you know. But i got to watch myself. Leslie and them, they force me. They say, you need to keep it about a half hour. You start losing people. But I went five minutes that first sermon. And then after that was over, Pastor Josh said, okay, you sit down now. My wife, Beth, said she feels like she's called to preach too. So she's going to come up and she's going to lead a little discussion. So Beth gets up there. So me and Beth on the same night preached a sermon. She gets up and talks about her sermon. Next thing you know, it's about five minutes later, she's done with her notebook full of paper. <laughs> then Josh has to lead in and follow up and tie it all together and make it make sense. And... Uh, just amazing thinking about that opportunity that somebody gave me to fulfill the calling in my life. That's something I knew God had called me to. It wasn't no man come to me and said, Ben, I feel like you need to be pastor. I feel like you need to be a preacher. It was something on the inside that said, you're called. And it's not just a calling to preach either. The calling of God is, is without repentance, the Bible says, and and in Corinthians, it teaches us that the callings of God are, are different. There's a diversity of gifts to the church. He says that there's some people are the hand. Some people are the feet. Some people are the nose. Hopefully that's not you. That's, that's the nosy people. Um, some people might be an ear. Some people might be a mouth. And you don't want to get out of place. I mean, you don't want to walk up to somebody and they start talking with their ear. That'd just be weird, wouldn't it? Or you know what I mean? If, if it, some people walk on their hands. Bubba, my uncle, I remember being a kid, I was just awestruck of him because he could walk on his hands and go up the steps to get in his house. On his hands. That's, I, can't, 
I can't even do a headstand. I definitely can't do a handstand. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a whole different world. So uh, be like us having a Jericho march here tonight and, and running around here and everybody having to do it on your hands. I, I can't do it. Sorry. Count me out. That's not my calling. I can't do it, right? It's the same way with God. Not all of us have the same calling. Not all of us has the same purpose in the body. Everybody has their place to be. I don't know what your calling is. It isn't up to me to tell you what your calling is. The Bible tells me that my only job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's what a pastor is called to do, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I hope and pray that I'm effective in doing that, and I try to get people. But when we're talking about the calling of God, I don't know if you've ever even pondered it. I don't know if you've ever even thought about that, being a prisoner of God, a prisoner of the Lord, a, a, a saved individual that has a purpose in this life. I pray that you would at least consider it and say, begin to have a conversation with God about it. Just, God, what's my calling? What's my purpose? Why do, why do you have me here? In Bethesda, you've, you've apparently called me here. You're not here by accident. Nobody here today is sitting here by accident. I believe God has called every individual in this building to be here for some purpose, some reason. I don't know what your purpose is. I hope and pray that God tells you. And if you know, come and talk to me. If you don't know, we got little worksheets that we can even give you to let you know what your gifting is so that you can get through the growth track with us and, and do those things because it spells out and tells you, well, I, I feel like I, I could help here. I feel like I could do that. It's important. And sometimes you've got to be uncomfortable. And I'm not telling you comfort's easy because it's not. Does anybody like being uncomfortable? You love getting in a situation where you're just totally out of place and out of comfort. It's like, I don't like being here. I'm more of a comfort guy, right? So here, a few years ago, an opportunity arose that Pastor Josh, my old youth pastor, called me and said, hey, you need to sign up for this. I signed, went online, signed up for this thing, and I was like, well, that'd be cool if I did. Have them if I don't. About a year and a half later, the, the people called me, hey, your name come up in the register, and, and you're one of the eight. They choose eight pastors three times a year from rural church in America to come to Louisville, and Bob Russell... Uh, mentors them for a week and they pay for it all I mean it's a totally free and it's amazing because Pastor Bob Russell he pastored the big church in Louisville if you've ever went to Louisville and seen the big church big tall one there on the, on the right right past the black buildings it's 72 million dollars they paid for that campus it's, it's amazing there's 32,000 members of that church services Saturday night to Sunday night a different group of people coming through the whole time. It's amazing to witness. And to think that that pastor of that church, that he grew the church from 100 to 32,000. I think he knows what he's doing. Right? So he, he, after he retired, he does this now. Three times a year, he calls eight pastors in from all over America. Some of them South Carolina to Georgia to all over. Just a lottery. They put their name in a hat and draw eight out. There you are. They call my name. But it's for the Christian church. And I'm, you know how it is. I, I'm, I'm amongst my peers and my friends in the same as God. I'm per, I can get along and get along and all that. But I'm going to go down there with the Christian church people that don't believe like me. It's uncomfortable. But I feel like there's a purpose. There's a reason for it. God don't do any accidents. So here I go, take off down there. They, and Pastor Bob mentors me. In his house, he's as humble as anybody I've ever seen. He was driving a Toyota Camry, old Went in his wife's house, and us eight people couldn't sit around his kitchen table. 
little room was so small, it's smaller than any kitchen I've been in. And to think about that much humility. And then wonder why he got the 32,000? Because of his humbleness. God teaches us to be humble. And in our humility, we can truly talk about what Jesus did, not what I did. Not one time did Bob Russell say, I built this church. He says, Christ built this church. Jesus built the church. And in that, Bob Russell somehow ended up connected with an insurance, what are they called? Big, he's a billionaire out west. He's got billions of dollars. And Bob Russell comes in contact with this guy, and the guy locks him because Pastor Bob's humble. And he talks to Pastor Bob, and he says, I got all these extra investments and extra stuff, and some of them make so much money that I, I don't need any more money. He said, I, I'll just give you the profit off of this extra account for you to help bless people that need it. How awesome is that? And the way Pastor Bob does it, he don't take it and do it himself. He's so humble, he says, now, all the eight pastors that come in three times a year, I'm going to send you an email and tell you there's another benevolence check come in, and you can write a request for somebody you know in your congregation or in your community, and you can ask for a request for us to send $1,000 to that family. I, we've done it, I don't know, six or seven times since I went and got families that need it. They're in too, true distress and having a hard time. And to walk up to them because God touched a billionaire's heart saying, here's a check for $1,000. Not me. It's not my money. Because God touched a billionaire somewhere. It's amazing. About six weeks ago, they sent me an email. First, It's the second one this year. I said, okay. Me and Leslie talked. Said, you know anybody that's really struggling, have, have needs? It's a definite need right now. And somebody that's really close to us. It's a, a woman that's raising two kids, working a job, making probably minimum wage, if barely over. Having a hard time feeding them. We we help them. We we take them out to eat. We buy them food. We do what we can. And we thought about this this little family, and uh, didn't even ask. Them. I just wrote their name down, emailed it back to Bob Russell's ministry. The girl contacted me back. I'd messed up on the form. That's just me. <laughs> That's how skilled I am. But she's good enough to tell me, you messed up a spot here. I fixed it, sent it back in. Two weeks later, we got a $1,000 check in the mail. Those boys were not going to have school clothes. And one of them, had them fall back. I know what hand-me-downs is like. See that little boy sitting there with his brother's shoes on? They was twice too big for his feet. Leslie calls the lady. She said, we didn't tell her anything was going on. She came over to the house and Leslie met her outside and said, no, you're probably struggling a little bit. We don't know all your circumstances, but probably struggling a little bit. And we just done this on your behalf without you even knowing. And we got a $1,000 check from a billionaire out west to help you buy school clothes for your boys. She broke down tears. And 
think about those little boys who are going to get to go to school just like every other kid when they probably wasn't without that check and you get to be a part of that that's why I love the calling of God because God can make a difference in people's lives and if we ain't doing it for others we're doing it for the wrong reason amen I love it to know it, it isn't about me being up here most of the time I'm praying that God will send somebody else to Pastor Bethesda because <laughs> I wish you'd send somebody effective. That's my prayer most of the time. And then come, people will come back and say, Pastor Ben, you don't know what a difference. What you said, done this, and touched me, or done that. And that's, that makes it all worth it. Don't matter what I think. It's what God thinks. If he's called me, I just got to say, God, I'm a prisoner. I will I willingly stick my hands out, Jesus, and say, do whatever you want. Because I've messed up too much, and you can fix what I've messed up, plus do a lot more. Because I couldn't give away $1,000 checks. But because being willing to be obedient to Jesus and go somewhere I'm uncomfortable, I didn't even know that was part of the deal. They don't tell you that until you go through the training. By being able to be uncomfortable, and that's what it's like in ministry. So whatever they're doing the kids' day over there, maybe you... You, you love kids and you're good at dealing with kids and you, you're good at that come over there to Greg's house and hang out and love on some little kids that might not get loved all that much and if you've got some neighbor kids around or maybe some nieces or nephews or somebody that you can bring over there and let them have a good time for a little bit bring them on be called to do something and that's what a prisoner of the Lord is all about that calling is without repentance and Paul says it best here but to each of us, a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We don't have to have the same calling. I can't be Brother Craig. Brother Craig can't be me. Brother Craig meets people all up and down the road, and everywhere he goes, he comes into contact with people. I'll never reach and touch those people. He can touch them. But I'll reach and touch people that he'll never come in contact with. Amen? There has to be a diversity. There has to be a, 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 a group of people that willingly meet together and just say, the only reason I'm allowed to be here is because Jesus had a gift, and it's a gift of grace that he put on my life that allowed me to be called. I didn't deserve to be called. Leslie, if you'll come. I went 35 minutes. I'm sorry. been 30 done the best I could Dusty won't you come and I, w I want him to just share briefly his testimony about his calling and Dusty you can just pray for him and, and dismiss him all right my calling, um, Albie reminded me after this morning's service, um, goes a little further, but the very first encounter, I'll go here. I remember being, I was, in the, I was at a Casting Crowns concert in Toledo. Um, I went with Albie because she wanted to go. I mean, I didn't like Casting Crowns that much. I, I thought Mark Hall had a good voice. You know, but you go with the girlfriend because that's what the girlfriend wants to do. So I went, and um, we were in this huge auditorium, and it was near the end of the concert, 
and here I am just standing there listening. You know, I love music. I, I'm all about music. And I'm sitting there, you know, like music, but I look around at one point, and the lights are flashing this huge, I mean, this auditorium is huge. I mean, there must be 20,000 people in this place. And I'm looking around, and, and every hand in, in the whole room is up, except for mine. I'm like the only person standing there with my hand, like, on my side, wondering what people are doing. Albie's hands up, everybody, everybody. And as I'm sitting there looking around, I'm like, man, there's there's something going on here that I'm not aware of. I've gone to church my whole life. I've never seen this. I've never seen people just going all in. And I've seen that, and, and God spoke to my heart right there, and he said, you know, there's something there's something going on. You need to check this out. You need to see what's going on here. So we get back. I'm working on the pipeline, and, and I'm not necessarily living like I should be living. I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing and saying things I shouldn't be saying and just acting poorly as a human being and I wasn't raised that way but that's how I was acting and so we start going to church every every, every other Sunday when I come in off the road and we go to Pastor Wilma's church Christ Open Bible up here and I start you know getting back into the swing of things and I start singing and I start doing my thing and writing songs and then just doing my music thing because that's what I've always known is music and that's what I want to do and so I'm doing that and God speaks to me a little bit and he says you know Maybe you should have the kids come up and sing with you, the, the youth group. So, I, you know, I didn't want to do anything without asking somebody. So I went to Pastor Wilma and I said, hey, is this something that could happen? And she said, sure, yeah, uh, we, we can have them sing, you know. And I was like, well, maybe I, I could be working with them or something, help them learn a few songs. She was like, well, let's just, you know, you know, pump the brakes there. I was excited, you know, I was ready to go. And she was, you know, I'll hold on. So I invited them up to sing and and after we had finished our song, the youth leader at that time stood up in the church and said, "It's I've felt it on my heart all week that Dusty should be working with the kids, teaching them how to sing and things like that. So that, that's what, um, and it's just like in that moment, Wilma looked at me and she said, well, there's your answer. You know, she was, you know, out of the mouth of one or two people, let everything be established. So she was like, well, there's your answer. So I start working with them. And there's the, there's the part I forgot. This is a pretty huge part. <laughs> this morning, I was like, you didn't even say this. We're working with the youth. I'm doing the music thing, and I'm still not feeling like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Even though I love music, and I love these kids so much, and I got to impact them greatly, because I still see these kids, and some of them still come to my youth group now that I'm here. And, you know, I just didn't feel like I was doing what I needed to be doing at that time. And so I'm praying, I'm asking God, you know, just tell me what you want me to do. I'll gladly do whatever it is. Just let me know, and I'll happily do it. And I was talking to Albie, and we were, she said we were coming across the Carl Perkins Bridge, and I told her, I said, man, I feel like I'm supposed to be a youth pastor or something. I said, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like or, or what that it would even be, but I feel like I'm supposed to do something like that. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and she said, we'll pray about it. And, I mean, that same night, we go out to eat with Pastor Ben Leslie. This is that same night. We go out to eat with him. On the way back home, Ben asked the question. He says, hey, how would you like to come and in, in, in interview to be our youth pastor? I was like, holy smokes, you know. <laughs> how, how strange is that? And God's like, you know, you're supposed to be working with the youth. He had to have someone else tell me again that I'm supposed to be working with the youth. And then he tells me again, and then Pastor Ben tells me that I'm supposed to be doing it. You know, it's like 
God's, you know, I'm a hard-headed person. you got to tell me a couple times to get me to do something. So, But it's just so awesome because God has a plan for our life. And God has a calling for all of us. I love how Pastor Ben said earlier, nobody's here on accident. You didn't come to the service on accident. You're here because God has something for you. He has something major for your life. Plan. It doesn't matter if you're 89. It doesn't matter if you're 12 or 3. It doesn't matter how old you are. You have a calling in your life. And God wants you to reach people. He wants you to bless people. He wants you to be out in the highways and the byways, blessing, doing things, ministering, evangelizing, doing what you can do for the calling and for the purpose of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's, it's all about a purpose in life. You're here for a reason. And we're just going to pray right now that God would speak into our lives, that God would speak clearly and precisely, and he would just make it so plain and clear what we're supposed to be doing with our life. Because sometimes, if I'm not mistaken, we get off and we get into this rut, or we just want to do what we've always been doing. We go to work, we come home. Like, here's my rut. I go to work, I come home on Monday, I go run, I go play basketball, I come home, take a shower, eat, go to sleep. Tuesday, I go to work. I come to youth group. I go home, I eat, take a shower, go to sleep. I mean, it's like Wednesday, I do the run thing again. Thursday, I have to mow grass on Thursday. Friday, I go run again and play basketball. I mean, that's it's like I get in this rut. And if I don't ask God and challenge God, say, God, come on, challenge me. Push in, press into Jesus and ask him, what, what do you want me to do? Am I supposed to just be doing these same things every single day? Or is there something else that you have me, you want me to do? So let's just stand really quick, and we'll just pray. And I just ask that you in your heart and in your mind would just continuously ask, Holy Spirit, what was, what was you saying to me? Can you speak to me in this moment? Can you tell me what I'm supposed to be doing Show me my purpose, and I'm just going to pray that he makes that very clear. And if he doesn't do it today, do not give up. Do not give up. Press in this entire week. Let God know you're serious. If he doesn't speak clearly right now, don't give up until he does speak clearly. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this awesome group of people. God, we know that we're here for a reason. We know that our purpose may not be clear at this moment, God, but we... We just ask that you speak clearly and precisely to our hearts. God, that you would lay it on us. And Father, if it takes what it takes for me, where other people had to keep telling me what's going on, then God, I ask that you send someone that speaks into their heart and speaks into their life, God, who loves them and who, who they can trust, God. Father, I just ask that you to speak clearly to this group of people. And as we stand here, God, and we listen carefully. God, I just ask that you move, your spirit would move in and out of this place, God, and that you would just allow these people to know exactly what their purpose is. Father, we love you. We thank you. We appreciate everything that you do for us, God. God, I thank you for speaking to people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.